Well, while I was out, Marion put out another one of his newsletters. And, uh, and he put in there that Jody and I have an anniversary coming up this week. And um, what he should have put in there was that there's an anniversary today. She's going to be mad at me for doing this. Pard and Maxine have an anniversary today. Okay? 66 years. Um, and we're talking about generosity and relationships this morning. I think maybe Pard and Maxine should come up and preach the sermon because my guess is they know a little bit about generosity and relationships. Um, far more than I'm, than I know, uh, but that was exciting. She grabbed me in the hall and told me happy anniversary and she said, our anniversary's today and we've been married just a little bit longer than you all have. <laughs> Indeed. Um, it's the blessing of the Lord, that's for sure. Genera- uh, we are in Luke chapter 17 this morning. Luke chapter 17, Marion read the parallel passage for you out of Matthew 18, and um, we're going to take the uh, we're going to take the shorter route in Math in uh, Luke 17, beginning in verse 3, and we're going to read down through verse 10. Luke 17, beginning in verse 3, down through 10. Let's read together. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like, a, like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Let's pray. Father, uh, we come to you this morning and we think about this word that you've given to us or passage that Marion has already read. We think about relationships. We think about uh, the topic of forgiveness. Father, we are in great need this morning. We come, uh, all of us having failed in so many respects, and, um, Father, we need to see and know and hear um, what you would have for us with respect to generosity in our relationships. Help us this morning. Be our aid and plow our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're doing a five-part series on what it means for the Christian to be generous and um, we said last week, when, when we hear that word generosity, we almost always think about money. And, uh, of course, it, it includes that, but it's so much more than that. And so what we're really kind of asking in this series is, what does it look like for the Christian's life 
to be generous, for us to be not just generous with our money, but to be generous in relationships, to be generous in our service, to be generous in our time, to be to be generous, to be people who give uh, freely. Uh, that that idea of being uh, of generosity um, is not just that we give; it's that we give deeply. It's that um, it's that it, it it causes us some to degree, if you will, of discomfort. Right? We're not just gener- generous out of our abundance. We're generous uh, out of who we are. Um, it, it's deep. It it goes deep down into our hearts and that's what we're uh, thinking about that's what we're looking at as we uh, we look at this idea of generosity so this week we're talking about what does it mean for the christian to be generous in their relationships what does that look like and we're going to talk about it um, and we're, and, and we're going to look at it in, in three parts out of this passage, right? We're going to talk about the challenge of generosity in relationships. We're going to talk about the practice of generosity in relationships and the key to real generosity in our relationships. And so let's look at this uh, first part, the challenge of generosity and relationships. Look at what Jesus says here. Jesus says, right, if someone comes to you, if someone sins against you seven times in a day, and they come to you and they say, I repent, what does Jesus say you got to do? Forgive them. That's the challenge. Because what Jesus is really saying is, I mean, he, He is quite literally saying, if someone sins against you seven times in a day. Now think about that. Has that ever... Don't answer. Has that ever happened to you? Like the same person has... No kidding, sinned against you seven times. And, you know, you probably got a brother or sister who's done it. Um, and maybe a spouse. But, but so what, here's what Jesus is doing. So the, the idea really is because that number seven is important. That's that number of perfection. It's completeness, right? It's wholeness. And so really what he's saying is think of someone who is, you know, a situation in your life in which someone has just outright violated you in the worst possible way. Because that's what it would be if they sinned against you seven times in one day and then came to you and said, I repent, will you forgive me, seven times in the same day. It's ridiculous. It's, a, it's, a, it's an idea that just kind of blows our minds. Someone uh, kind of used the, the example, right, just to understand that idea of the seven, of the completeness. And what they said was, it would be like, you know, in that ancient day, going to, a, you know, some sultan's house, and he says, oh, I hope that you will feast upon seven fish with me. He doesn't really mean like, you know, uh, feast upon seven fish. He means, I hope that you have your bounty, you're full, right? Get all that you want while you're at my table. And what Jesus is saying is just kind of the reverse in terms of the violation. It's a complete and total they have wronged you in the absolute worst possible way. Now, here's what's really interesting about this. Because when you talk about forgiveness with people, 
typically what happens is, so you give the Bible's perspective on forgiveness, which is radical. It really is just kind of a radical concept. And you tell them, right, so the, so Jesus really does teach that you are to forgive your enemies. Those people who have really wounded and hurt you. Jesus, te- he does teach that you are to forgive them. Okay? And so, Almost inevitably, when you tell someone that, what they'll say is, well, but what about, what about that person that takes advantage of you? Right? What about the person that, you know, they just keep on doing it? Well, what about the person that just keeps on doing it? Jesus says, if that person who has violated you, sinned against you seven times in the same day comes to you seven times in the same day and says, I repent, Jesus says, you must forgive them. Now, everybody should be exhaling deeply or inhaling deeply because that is an enormous challenge. That is really difficult stuff. How difficult is it? Look at the very next thing the disciples asked Jesus after that. Verse, and I have my glasses on, five. Lord, increase our faith. Help us out here. Now, there are two exclamation, there, there are two points of emphasis in this passage. All right? The first one is in verse three. We're going to talk about it in a second. Jesus says, exclamation, pay attention to yourselves. Okay? Kind of a loud, it's got an exclamation mark. <laughs> The sentence structure is such that Jesus is putting an emphasis on that, right? He's highlighting it. He's underlining it. It's in bold letters. And the other point of emphasis in the passage is the disciples looking at Jesus and saying, increase our faith. That is their point. of So those two points of emphasis, pay attention to yourselves. Exclamation point. And Lord, increase our faith. Exclamation point. Now, what's going on in these two? Let's take that first one in verse 3 where Jesus says, watch yourselves. Exclamation point. Why is he telling us to watch ourselves? Because this is a really hard passage, right? This is a... This is a really hard situation that he is kind of throwing them into. He says, right, you need to watch yourselves. Why? Because there are a couple of traps right here that you can easily fall into. Here's the first one. The first trap in a situation in which someone has wronged you. Let's just stop right there. How many of you all have ever been wronged? Every single one of you. All right, so it applies. All right, so we're in a good spot. Just make sure you're tracking because you've all been offended in some way, probably sinned against at least once. I just want to make sure you all are all on board with with what's going on. So, Jesus says, watch yourselves. Okay, why? Two, Two parts probably. First is, It is easy in a situation in which you've been wronged to just avoid 
forgiveness altogether. Okay? So watch yourselves, because if you end up in a situation like this, there's, there are at least two temptations. And the first temptation is to walk away from it and avoid it altogether. And to not deal with the individual, to not engage the situation. That is one temptation that exists right here. And you have to watch yourselves that in your relationships, you, you don't avoid the situation such that all of that baggage remains there. Rush is teaching a class right now on peacemaking. Okay? They're covering all this sort of stuff. You know, um, great stuff. I've heard from a number of you that that class has been immensely helpful. But one of the things you can't do in conflict is just avoid it. It doesn't go away. And it's not going to go away from your heart. You will store it up and you will let it sit there and it will eat at your heart. You know how I know that? Because the Bible tells us, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, he says, Strive for peace with everyone, peacemaking, Okay, And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God from you, essentially is what he's saying, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Why would a root of bitterness spring up? Because you've been feeding it by stuffing down in your heart all of these relationship situations. So the first one is, don't avoid forgiveness. Because it's difficult. The second thing that we tend towards, right? The second temptation is to avoid forgiveness because we think it really doesn't matter if we hold on to the anger. Okay? And, and, uh, so we can avoid and just go on our merry way. We can avoid thinking, if I don't deal with this, it's not going to cause me any harm. And of course it does. Don't, don't stay angry. Move towards forgiveness. And Jesus is saying, watch yourselves, okay? Because there are temptations here that are looming that will keep you from doing the right thing. And the right thing is moving into forgiveness, being generous in your relationship. We're going to look at how he tells us that, okay? So pay attention to yourselves or you'll be gobbled up by anger and bitterness and And everything that comes with that, you will be completely all twisted up in your heart if you don't move towards forgiveness. And when that happens, right, you have to be really on on high alert. You have to be paying attention to your life, okay? That's why Jesus is saying to them, Pay attention to yourselves. Let me ask a question. When you're in a situation, you're in a relationship, and someone has wronged you, who are you usually paying attention to? Right? Them. Look at them. Look at who they are. Look at what they've done. Um, When you go and, and you talk to someone about them and about what they did to you, are you typically talking to that person, you know, yeah, this is the struggle in my heart. And no, they lied to me. They they stole from me. They're robbing my joy, right? So it's them. The focus is on them, which is why Jesus, right at the beginning as he begins to move into this, calls us 
to think about ourselves. Pay attention to your own heart and who you are. So we have to be careful that we don't kid ourselves and it doesn't matter and I can just push it to the side and I can just stuff it down. It, it absolutely matters. And you will be you will be distorted and twisted and maligned it, all down in your heart. You'll lose trust, all sorts of things. And that danger is there and it looms and, um, and it'll be a great challenge. So, that's the challenge. Okay? When you think about forgiveness, the challenge is real. Because the bar is high, right? And, uh, and, and it's a significant challenge to think about, okay, someone has wronged me. I have to find a way towards forgiveness. So let's talk about what that practice looks like. What does it look like? To practice this kind of generosity that Jesus is talking about, forgiving someone who comes to you seven times in the same day, what does that look like? How, how can we do that? And he's got it. He, he, he moves us in a couple of directions. Here's the first one. Notice that he says <coughs> in verse three, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him, right? Uh, some pastors say if your brother or sister sins against you. That's important because right out of the gate what he's saying is, listen, you have to find a way to identify with that person. And Jesus is saying here the identification with this person in this passage is that they're my brother or they are my sister. Now, he's not talking about siblings. He's talking about they are my brother or sister in the Lord, all right? So these are fellow believers who have wronged me in my relationship. And so it really kind of right out of the gate, one of the things that we can't do is we can't just caricature people. We can't just take them and make them, as we've talked about before, one-dimensional. We have to see them as people just like us. We have to find a way to identify with them. Um, and so if you want to move towards forgiving someone, you have to move away from that tendency uh, to make them one dimensional. So here's how we do that. OK, so in, in our relationships, someone, let's just say they, they lied. And uh, it's a significant lie and they've told us a lie. And so what do we when we're thinking about them or we're telling someone about them? Who are they? They're a liar, right? That person's a liar. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever lied? Sorry, don't answer. <laughs> I can tell you the answer. Yeah, you've lied, right? But when someone lies to you, and, and it's significant, we make them one-dimensional. They become a liar. Now, in if I were to ask you, well, tell me tell me about the lie you told. Well, right, immediately you become human, and the, the situation is is full. It's complex. Um, there was there were great difficulties involved here, right? I was really pressed into a, a hard place, and I have, you know I felt trapped, and and suddenly you become multidimensional when you're explaining your lie, but you've made the person 
whom you're talking about, one-dimensional with respect to their situation. See, they're humans just like you. They're brothers and sisters in Christ just like you. They're multi-dimensional just like you. They have issues, complexities, which you know nothing about just like you. And so the important first part here is, as you practice forgiveness, is to let them be real. Let them be real people with real issues, with real complexities in their lives. And Jesus says, right, if your brother or sister sins, he's, he's bringing them to life. He's not just, he's, you know, find identification with them. Now, what do you do if they're not believers? Well, um, you know, Mark tells us that if you have someone uh, and there's a situation, you're you're to go deal with them. He doesn't he doesn't put the label brother sister on there. So even then, right? Well, how can you make someone who's not a brother or sister in Christ who may not even understand this concept of forgiveness? How, how can you make them real? How can they? Uh, take on this idea. Well, you can do you can do a number of things, right? Depending upon your relationship, but the the primary baseline of relationships is they're made in the image of God. This is an incredibly complex relationship and connection that you have with them because they, like you, are made in the image of God. They, like you, are fallen in their sin. That's enough. That should be enough identification with someone to begin to be able to move towards them in the process of forgiveness. Mirsov Balf, who is a professor at um, Yale, professor of theology, who was just introduced to him this week. He's written a number of books on forgiveness. If you, someone grabbed me and told me that they had gone out and purchased the book. I'd posted about it this week. Um, my encouragement would be just be careful, right? Um, because not everything in there may be um, orthodox with respect to his theology. Um, but his work on forgiveness is substantial, thoughtful, challenging, difficult to read, okay? Um, but really good stuff. And here's one of the things he says uh, in his book, uh, most recent book on forgiveness. He says this, forgiveness flounders when I exclude the enemy from the community of humans and I exclude myself from the community of sinners. Two parts. Forgiveness flounders, right? This process of being able to identify and forgive someone, it flounders when I exclude that person, my enemy, okay? when I exclude them from the community of humans. When I make them subhuman, when I, when I make them one-dimensional, okay, and I exclude them from the community of humanity, okay, that's the first part. The second part is when I exclude myself from the community of sinners. When you do those two things, you cut off your path to forgiveness. When you forget who you are and you forget who they are together and that you are all in the same boat, we are all in the same boat, when you forget that, 
you essentially cut off safe passage to the process of forgiveness. Because you're both made in the image of God and you're both sinners. Someone said it's impossible to stay angry unless you feel superior to the person you're angry at. Here's the second aspect of the practice, right? You have to be uh, very specifically and inwardly surrender the right to repayment. And you have to be willing to pay the debt yourself. You have to surrender the right to repayment and be willing to pay the debt yourself. What that means is, and we've talked about this before, right? There is always a cost associated with forgiveness. It's never free. It always costs someone. And what we typically want to do is exact the cost on that person. So most of us, have, most of the situations don't involve money. They're, you know, you're, you were wounded. You were embarrassed. You were made afraid. Your feelings were hurt. You, uh, you know, in some sort of a way, you were robbed of joy. And so what we typically try to do in relationships is just exact that payment on that person, right? Uh, believing that if, if they're unhappy, that'll make me happy. Uh, it's pretty twisted logic. But that's typically how we go about this relationship thing, right? So I've been wronged, um, and, uh, and that caused X, Y, and Z in my heart. So what I just prefer to do is exact that X, Y, and Z on them and, and make them repay that via not a cash donation. Make them repay that via being unhappy. Okay. And so we maneuver and we go about to get to that place where we can exact that on them. But in the process of forgiveness, you have to be ready and willing to absorb that repayment yourself. That that means you have to absorb the hurt and the pain. So every time you play the tape in your head, right, and you don't go and play that tape for them, or you don't go and attempt to exact that repayment, and you eat some of that pain, some of you have experienced that, right? And, And you... You, you feel that inward pain in your soul, your heart. You're, you're eating that. And, and there's a cost associated with forgiveness. And that cost shows up, right, in this next aspect. Because one of the things you're, you're probably saying, okay, I, I, I'm hearing you, right? So we have to make them human. We want to forgive them. But they can't just go on doing what they're doing, right? I mean, surely you're not going to tell us that. And no, that's not at all what Jesus says, right? He says, if your brother sins or your sister sins against you, what's the next thing? Rebuke him, right? And so in the Matthew 18 passage, and I'm just going to make a, this is just kind of a public confession because some of you probably encountered me in a situation in which I was confronting you over something. Um, hopefully I was doing it very gingerly and kindly and gently. Um, but I've often got this wrong, just to be honest. Okay? Because one of the things that is happening is, in the Matthew passage, is that Matthew gives us the reason 
why we rebuke someone, why we challenge them, right? Well, we go to them and show them they're wrong. And what is the reason that Matthew gives us? The, Math, the, the Matthew explanation is that we are trying to win our brother back. Ah, right? So we want a happy, we want a restored relationship, not just an exacting of repayment. And so we want a restored relationship. And so one of the things that we do is we rebuke them. But anytime you're going to go rebuke them, the first thing that has to have happened in your heart is you have to have already forgiven them. Elsewise, what does the rebuke come? It becomes an opportunity for you merely to wear them out. Right? Now the rebuke becomes your opportunity to exact that repayment on them. But if, if you have already forgiven them and then you go to them to rebuke them, that's, we've really been waiting for that part of the thing, right? I get to rebuke them. No, when you go to show them their sin and to win them back because that's what you ultimately want. Right? If you go and the forgiveness has already happened, now the rebuke is focused. It's focused right where it needs to be, and that is winning the person back. Because ultimately, what you can't have are relationships that have been crashed and beaten and battered on the rocks, and the wreckage and the remains are all laying there, and we're going, it's okay, I forgave them. Because ultimately we seek restoration in our relationships. The entire letter of 2 Corinthians is built on the idea that God has made us reconcilers. Reconcilers to Him and and of people to Him and reconcilers of our relationships with one another. So that's the how. That's the... That's the, how, how does this happen? What are, what are the keys, uh, to, to make it happen is the, is the final point, right? Because the apostles heard this. They heard Jesus telling them this. And they give us that other exclamation point. And what is it? Lord, increase our faith. Who could possibly do this? Who could possibly, who could possibly forgive someone who comes to you seven times in a day? And so if you're asking the question, which we should be asking at this point, how do I do that? How do I get there? Guess what? Jesus tells us. And what he gives to us at the very end is he gives to us a metaphor and he gives to us a parable. And here's the metaphor. Beginning in verse 6. This is Jesus' answer. If you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, go be planted in the middle of the ocean, and it would. It seems a little nonsensical. But here's what Jesus is saying. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed. Now, what that means is it's not the amount of faith. It's not the volume of your faith. It's the object of your faith. Because what Jesus does, the disciples are asking for more faith. And Jesus is saying, no, 
The faith you have, be it small, if it's in the right place, is enough. It's enough. It's enough that you could move mountains. It's enough that you can plant mulberry bushes. You could uproot them and you could plant them in the sea and they would obey you. It's enough, Jesus is saying, for you to be able to do the unthinkable, which is forgive someone who has violated you seven times in the same day and asked you for forgiveness. And so what is the object of our faith? The object of our faith is a person who left a throne in heaven, came down and made himself a servant and went all the way to the cross for you. That's the object of our faith. Our faith is in the person and work of Jesus. Right? If your faith is there, if that gospel is the center of your heart, if someone comes to you seven times in the same day, if you continue to go back to the gospel, and what is the gospel, right? The gospel is you've infinitely offended a holy God, and yet... He loved you enough to send His Son to die for you. So, right, if you replay that tape every time they came to you, what would be your conclusion each time? How can I possibly not forgive this person? You see it? He gives us the flip side. We're going to close with this. The flip side is this, right? He gives this really strange parable. And he asks them, he says, would any of you who has a servant plowing, okay, so some of you, you've got a servant, right? That person's working for you. They're plowing, they're planting, they're tending the sheep, they're doing all of those duties, okay? And so they're out there in the field. How many of you, if you had a servant like that, would say to him when he came in from the field, hey, go at once, recline at the table? No. You wouldn't do that. Rather, you would say to him, prepare supper for me. You would say, continue doing what it is you're supposed to do. Okay? And and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink. Verse 9. Does he thank that servant because he did what was commanded? No. It was his job. And, and, And what Jesus, I think, is getting at here, it's somewhat challenging, But what Jesus is getting at is if you believe you're still in a transactional relationship with God, right, you're going to be greatly disappointed. So he gives us the positive. The positive is faith. The negative is don't do what the Pharisees do. What the Pharisees have been doing, and he's been on them all through Luke, okay, what the Pharisees do is they are looking They are treating the relationship with God as a transactional relationship. I pray, I fast, I tithe, I give, I do this. Now, bless me, hear me, save me, help me. That's that's the transactional relationship that so many of us want to live in. And if we're living in the transactional relationship, guess what? You're never going to, this is not going to be possible for you. 
This forgiveness is not going, because that is not the motivator. The motivator is, the ultimate is, that God left, that the servant left, I mean, the, uh, the, the king left his throne and became your servant. That is the motivator par excellence. That's the gospel message. The king gave up everything in order to come down and offer himself for you. Because you had a debt that was unpayable. Allah, the Matthew passage. So Jesus is saying, when that person comes to you and you exercise that gospel faith, you believe, you trust in my Right? In me, the person and work of Jesus Christ. When you go to that gospel center, each time you have to come to someone and offer forgiveness, that will bring you way down. It'll bring you off of that superior high horse that we typically want to ride on. It'll bring you down to the ground because each and every time you'll be reminded of all that was done for you, which frees you up. To respond in kind to them. A beautiful picture. Challenging. (laughs) The enormity of the challenge is significant. And the calling. But the key unlocks the power for all of life. Let me pray for us. Father, we would do well today to be reminded again of your sacrifice for us, of the work of the Lord Jesus on our behalf. Father, we all, every one of us probably in this room, have opportunities before us to forgive. We've struggled. We've beat ourselves up. We've gone to the wrong well. We've tried in our own strength to do what only You can do. And that is, Father, give us the freedom. And You've given us that in Christ as You have shown us the amazing links that You went to establish a path of forgiveness for us. We bless You. We praise You. We thank You, Father. Let us be so kind and giving in the relationships that we have all for your glory and for our good. Amen.